This is Shaka Art Speak. Hey, welcome to Shaka Art Speak. I'm Ryan Letario with my fantastic co-host Gareth Blackwell, otherwise hey. known as Doctor Snacksmell. <laughs> Everybody, um, it is Doctor Snacksmell. How you doing? <laughs> no, but but for real though, Doctor Blackwell. Yeah, I don't want to. But uh, so. It's worth mentioning because we haven't said it in a while. This is a podcast on art and design, but broadly speaking, and and we've got like a long-term trajectory for, uh, I think, what we'll talk about in the podcast, what we have talked about, and how it all fits together and, and um, kind of allows us to get into topics that bleed into the centrality of why we do what we do. Um, and, and some of that, that stuff, that information that bleeds in, uh, that stuff, the minutia, the uh, the stuff we don't talk about, we've tried to get into that stuff because I think that's a necessary part of the conversation. And Gareth and I have been having these conversations for years. And so we've just decided to take the journey of, um, you know, making ourselves a little more vulnerable uh, and talking as honestly as we can um, about some of the stuff that we just don't talk about enough, perhaps, but we're yeah. dealing with all the time. Yeah, definitely. And, and one of the things that we you know, we always say uh, that it's worth reminding, we haven't said it in a few episodes, but is that, you know, for us, we believe it's important to both know and be known by each other. And what that means is there's an exerted, concerted effort to know one another in the fields of art and design. Um, and that takes a work, but it also takes a work to allow yourself to actually be known in such a way that um, real things can occur, you know, real cultivation of your your interests as a painter or a sculptor or photographer or whatever it is, you know, designer, um, there's no sphere you're working in where you're not actually going to need to both know and be known by each other. A lot of times we want one or the other. You know, I think that's a temptation is I want to be known, but I don't want to know anybody. Yeah. Um, and vice versa, you know. Uh, so anyhow, just to just to sort of uh, throw that reminder out there, put that in front of us. Um, that's a big part of why we're doing this. We've, we've been benefited greatly now uh, uh, by living through some of the implications of what we're saying. And we've seen the effect that it's had. And I've also seen the effect of, and I'm sure Gareth has too, of, of um, people just living isolated, just wishing that uh, someone would find out about them, discover them online or whatever. And I think you can do that and it works for some, but you know, uh, very few end up becoming Justin Bieber. Yeah, I mean, discovered on YouTube. <laughs> it's a bad joke, unfortunately. But it's true, though. I mean, Bieber did get discovered on YouTube. But I mean, yeah. like, I think, I think it's like it's sort of like the the idea that um, my my grandma is like when I win lottery, and it's like, well, you're banking on such a small percentage mm -hmm. that you're wasting the rest of your time not working at it other ways. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. So anyhow. Um, so here we are, and we've got a, a follow-up to our first part to this episode, or this uh, topic. Um, and what's this episode, Gareth? Help me out. This is a, a short little title that we uh, thought was fairly succinct. Hold it together. Cooperation, collaboration, and the fight against throwing people under the bus. That's right. It's going to be a t-shirt we're making <laughs> for this holiday season. Yeah. yeah uh, uh, get your pre-orders in now. Get them in now. <clears throat> yeah. It's a... Uh, you know, and I think, you know, where we kind of landed last time with a lot of this, uh, we really spent uh, the first part of this uh, topic talking about well, how are we actually parsing and understanding uh, cooperation and collaboration? Because at times I think we um, unfairly use them as interchangeable terms, but 
But when we actually start to talk about them and think about them, they become very different from one another. Right. Um, and so, you know, we started talking a lot about, well, you know, we, we understand cooperation because we're fed this our entire life. Uh, and it's a, it's, it's a good thing to be fed, this idea of cooperation. Um, but we kind of settled on a spot where it feels like, well, co- cooperation could be something where you're just working together on the same thing. Like if you're doing a chore with someone or helping somebody at their house with a thing, you know, you don't have to actually be really invested in it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't necessarily require you to have any sense of volition past the activity. Yeah. So, um, you know, cooperation can in a way be somewhat passive. Yeah. Whereas collaboration, on the other hand, uh, much more active thing where both parties are deeply invested, mm-hmm. uh, working together, where you don't necessarily see one person always running the show, mm-hmm. but that that kind of running the show, leadership, uh, whatever way you want to talk about sure. it, is probably going back and forth between right. the people involved. Um, so there's something highly um, integral with uh, collaboration that deals with like the individual skills and talents and abilities and thoughts and experiences of the people involved that maybe isn't there so much with cooperation, yeah. at least as we talk about with an art and design. Right. And those are, and they're both uh, necessary categories and they're, they're not mutually exclusive. I mean, they can, they can kind of commingle together. Uh, there can be occasions for that, but yeah. there is, um, it, it is worth parsing that out. And of course for us, most of the topics we go after are, are the things that we're bumming into quite a bit as university professors and mm-hmm. just in the field of art and design, seeing artists and designers out in our, city dynamic, uh, working through these issues, both like on the job. So, I mean, you're seeing it at multiple levels. You're seeing it in, in through college into jobs, Mm -hmm. um, or into studio organizations. Um, so shock art space is a nonprofit, you know, we, uh, there is a certain amount of collaboration, but also sometimes cooperation. And Mm -hmm. you'd like, you'd like there to be a more robust understanding that affords both, but oftentimes we drift into one or the other category and, and uh, so kind of knowing what time it is is helpful. Um, but we figured this is a, a topic worth parsing out. And one of the symptoms of that is, I guess, is what? Why? Yeah. What are your... I mean, I think, you know, um, when you when you start to look at cooperation and collaboration, um, you know, a lot of people might say, well, you know, inherent to this is some sort of kind of power struggle. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody's always kind of wanting to take the lead. And what's yeah. that look like? And how is how do you like keep that uh, at bay? So true. And it's just it's tough because I feel that I mean, client relationships like this is a big part of it because yeah. you want as personally as a designer, I want those client relations relationships to feel collaborative yeah. more than cooperative. Sure. Like I don't I don't want to be. And the affectionate industry term of just some kind of pixel monkey yeah. moving the things around the screen. And I've yeah. been trained in a certain I've way. I've never heard that before. That. P- pixel monkey. Yeah. It's like uh, usually more toward the digital side of things. Sure. Uh, of course. That's but. a good brand name. <laughs> I kind of like it actually. And it's, uh, you know, and it's, it, it's the idea that there's just kind of this person who's been trained to kind of parrot some things sure. and just do what they've yep. been told. Yep. And that's it. Um, you know, which is kind of the feel of cooperation. Hey, I have this thing. Can you help me do it? Yeah. Um, and a lot of students will feel that way. So you talk about, uh, students in other places in schools of art and design that will be heavily, they'll be getting their income heavily from commissions, which Mm -hmm. is a cooperative endeavor. Right. Um, but then with these things that are only cooperative, there is, uh, some sort of, I don't know. I think there's like a desire for something a little more, more for the collaboration where they want their voice to also be, 
at the same level of, at the table in the conversation. Right. Um, and so there is this idea of power struggle. Yeah. So when we don't have it, we complain about it. Yeah. Uh, we want it. We feel powerless. We feel sure. disenfranchised, all these sort of things. And there are sort of natural things that we tend to do. And sometimes that might be chucking people under a bus. <laughs> so I guess kind of just throwing it back to your way, Ryan, like, it kind of makes sense that these go together, but why do we feel the need within this topic to do cooperation, collaboration, and trying not to throw people under the bus? Because throwing people under the bus is fun. That's why. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> it's fun and it feels good. Yeah, but, but in the moment, right? <laughs> yeah, it, in the moment it feels good. It sucks to be thrown under the bus. It does. But man, is it is it a wonderful opportunity. <laughs> when, yeah, when you are collaborating or or cooperating, because uh, the nucleus, <laughs> I have Nacho Libre in my mind when he talks about the nucleus. <laughs> Underneath the clothes, we have the nucleus. I don't even know if anyway we know what that means, but sorry, I got uh, you. I'm tracking. Yeah, the nucleus of 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 uh, the collaborative or whatever or the co-op cooperating endeavor. Um, still entails different people that have their own personal goals and agendas and sense of need and want. And I guess uh, when, when the team's not going well, <laughs> someone has to take the blame for it. Yeah. You yeah, know what I mean? The, the relationship goes one of two places. Yeah. It goes to a, a healthy generative place. Yeah. Or it goes to a place where you're just fighting to throw other people under the bus. Yeah. 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 You're, gra- you're grasping out of a reflex. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, uh, yeah, why we're talking about this? Well, it's just pervasive. I don't know. I think, I think, um, I think uh, it's difficult not to cooler talk. You know, stand around the cool water cooler and kind of push someone down yeah. in the in the milieu or whatever. And uh, I think it's a temptation that I I certainly deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. You know, working in a university, like I mean, I want to be careful how we talk about this, but um, I have been on the receiving end of it as well. Uh-huh. Um, in ways that I didn't even know until much later. Um, and, and, uh, yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, not to make it emotional, like it was, it's hurtful, it's shocking uh-huh. and it destabilizes where you think the furniture is, so to speak, like where you can rest your arm. Yeah. All of a sudden you're like, uh-huh. Oh, I was never actually resting on anything solid there with that person. That was, that was uh, a false. Um, and so it can undermine uh, the work mm-hmm. and undermine your your sense of accomplishment or, or um, purpose or value. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's you know for me it seemed to be when we had talked about this that that just seemed to be a thing. It's like it happens so often uh, at every level. It, it it's definitely worth kind of digging around. You know, into I mean I don't know if I have a perfect answer for it, but I think. It's worth talking about, I guess. Well, I think you know, yeah. some of the, even the language within the title of like the fight against doing it, right? Because it's not one of these things where we just say, yeah, okay, right. I'm just never going to do that again. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. just not going to put myself in a situation where that ever is a possibility. Right. I mean, that'd be great. Yeah. But it's just not going to happen because if you are knowing people and they're knowing you, then the relational aspect of that is going to turn into positives and negatives. Yeah. It's just yeah, going to yeah, happen. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of it is, you know, when I think of a topic like this, some of the places I go are like, okay, well, why do we do this? Mm-hmm. You know, why might we feel the need to do it? Mm-hmm. Um, if we know a little bit about why, then 
are there ways that we can kind of counterbalance that or are there, mm. are there practices that we can uh, maybe strengthen that will help us do it less? And yeah. then even, uh, then you have like the, uh, the rebuilding part too. So when you have done it, then, yeah, what do you then do? how do we move into functioning relationships within our design practice that allow us to move past it? Yeah. I mean, gosh, it's so scattershot. There's a lot of questions you just kind of like unloaded there. And I think it's like a scattershot of messiness. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think, you know, there's the, uh, analyzing it from a bird's eye point of view, but there's also just like the anecdotal, uh, interpersonal experiences. And, um, I guess what, oh gosh, it's such an unsexy topic, but the sub category for me is, uh, taking responsibility. Mm. Um, sometimes you take responsibility for your own actions. Sometimes that turns into taking responsibility for other people's actions. Yeah. And, um, perhaps communication is hampered in such a way that it's easier to throw people under the bus when the going gets tough and there's a cost to absorb. Um, you know, cause we talk about being generative, like we've talked about failure, but like, what does it look like when something doesn't work out well. Yeah. You just didn't work out. You, you did your best or whatever. Um, or when there's a threat to the, to the environment um, or to the project, there's just a few ways you can go. And so there's a resiliency that has to be there to continue to take responsibility for each other, for your work and, and, and to be okay with the work, not being enough, like not, not, not idle. And then it's not enough, but, but be okay with it. And, um, uh, I think to the fight against, uh, throwing people under the bus, um, is critical to like, I mean, I'm just thinking about it in all kinds of ways. I'm thinking about like at the political level, I'm thinking about it at, I mean, at every, every level, like this is not unique to art and design, not at all. Although, um, it will radically hamper what we say our idealistic values are because it'll create embedded contradictions or hypocrisies. And, um, and it creates a lack of trust. And uh, many people look to artists and designers as sort of like standard bearers of culture, mm-hmm. you know, the ones that point the way forward, historically speaking. Yeah. And not everybody, but a lot of folks do. And so if, if the ones that were being signaled as the, those that know the direction to go and we are failing miserably in this way, what does that say? You know, what does that communicate symbolically or uh, realistically? So um, I'm still, I guess in my mind, I'm still trying to think about it from a few different categories, but those are just some thoughts that are swirling around my head as we kind of conceptualize a framework for this discussion a little bit. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, No, definitely. Cause I think maybe even a place where we could kind of back up a little bit and start from some folks might be listening and saying, well, why, why is this even a problem? Like who cares if I throw folks under the exactly, bus? Exactly. If I'm, if I'm getting to where I need to be, yep. like why is this an issue? And why would we care within the, the, the lens of art and design? Why would mm-hmm. we care about this topic? You know, because right. most people, especially from the outside, uh, like non 
uh, non-art and design folks, they might look at it and be like, oh, well, that's just how that works, right? Yeah. Like, that's, how else yeah, do you yeah. get to be that yeah. rock star? Be, it, we call it, you know, a lot of times in certain design fields, we call it being, like, in fa- like you call it being, it's very cutthroat. Yeah. I've heard over and over again, like in the world of fashion, it's very cutthroat. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, there's a, there's in a, so I might just continually derail what you're saying without meaning to today, but because I'm, I'm just provoked by what you're saying and saying like, why would we, why would we even, it becomes an axiom like, oh, this is just a given. This is the way it is. Yeah. But so if it's a given, that means it's resting on something. It's resting on a value system. Yeah. Um, so there's some perceived value that creates an environment that is cutthroat such that someone will be thrown into the bus. And somewhere in there, I think there's a game being played and it's still a king of the mountain kind of or queen of the mountain or, you know, yeah. king of the hill kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, no, definitely. I'm following you. Yeah. So it's still, it, I mean, not to devolve back into other discussions we've had, but then it, it does go back into our last episode relating to this topic. Uh, it goes back into what is obtained, what, what value you're obtaining to and how you uphold it. And how do I get my piece of that? And how do I not lose it? And this incessant need that we have to be at the top um, and, or somewhere along the, that, that line, you know, on, along the way to the top. And if, it, if uh, I'm going to get sent back 10 spaces for a mistake, you know, I could easily blame on someone else or because it really was their fault and mm-hmm. I could throw them under the bus in exchange for my value not being hampered. That's really, really tempting. And then what happens is then it becomes normalized as integral to um, the making. You know what I'm saying? But I don't know that that actually is normalized into the making. Like, I don't know if throwing people under the bus per se is going to produce better fashion. You see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I don't, no, I don't no. know if you can make that that connection. And I'm just using fashion because I've heard this a lot. I think it's true in a lot of, like, people say, like, Hollywood's cutthroat. Or, you know, um, I used to get told, like, you know, if you're going to break in and be, uh, you know, a, a visual artist in Los Angeles that is cutthroat, like, it's really hard to get into. And you're like, what? what is making that? It's power. It's elitism. It's like, what? what are those values? Well, an elite few want to feel separated and distinct from and a part of something exclusive. So what, what is that? Well, they're cultivating a mythos around a perceived value and I need you to not have it so I can feel like I have it. Mm. Like I, I need someone else to be like, I don't have it. It's like that whole phenomenon with clubs. Like they'd make people stand outside. The club would be empty, but they'd have a line yeah. to create a sense where uh, there's a need to get in. And some clubs would like do that to build a, an environment of exclusivity and then you build the two layers and only certain people get to the top layer. I mean, it's a, it's a capitulated uh, thing all over the place, you know? Um, yeah, no. And, and one thing that as you're, um, as you're talking about, I'm, I'm thinking like just from the context of when I was a student and now in the classroom, like these, these ideas are like cutthroat, like that's not, how I've ever experienced a class I've taken. Mm-mm. It's not how I have ever run a class, right? Mm-mm. I haven't been like, hey, no. welcome to the Hunger Games, day one, <laughs> let's see who survives. You get to be the artist, the rest of you, yeah. you get to go somewhere else. Yeah, You know, I, and so it's it's something where I'm like, it, it's funny because I don't feel like the, the end that you're kind of talking about, this cutthroat nature, I, I don't feel like it's coming from something that's being trained through the academy. No. 
Like it doesn't feel that way. No. So it's, it's, it's something else. Yeah. Um, and some of it, you know, I think there's so many things that could go into this, but one thing that I start to rest on is that we have taken art and design and we've said, oh, it's not actually pervasive. Mm-hmm. It's actually very pocketed in small mm-hmm. places. And since it's not pervasive, then I got to get out and claw and scratch sure. and scream and kick and do everything I can to get there. Yeah. Everybody else be damned. Yeah. Um, which isn't, you know, like we said, it's not, it's not true because, yeah. you know, we picked out our clothes this morning. We're sitting at a table in chairs. We have yeah. microphones. We are in a building. We got here in cars. We passed by other buildings. Like everything around us has been influenced by our design. Mm-hmm. But we come out and think, oh, it's got to be cutthroat because yeah. the top is just yeah, so yeah, hard yeah. to get to. Right. Right. And I think that that's, uh, you can't build a society on that. And so when you look, you know, you just, you know, not to get too big, but you can't build a society on that. So at the macro level, it just, we, we're seeing the symptoms of that. We're seeing the polarization. And I, like, I, I don't want to go into that. But, um, you know, at the personal level, what we do is we minimize our uh, drift towards throwing each other under the bus. Mm-hmm. To We act as though it's a localized expression and that it doesn't have uh, bleeding implications that bleed out into other other areas because I like, so, so for instance, I know as someone who struggles with trusting people that, um, the less, you know, I have long-term history with this, but the less you, or the more you do things that you know, you shouldn't, the harder it is to believe that others aren't doing it too. Almost unfairly. So Mm. you see what I'm saying? Like, you know, so if someone is constantly lying to someone else, it makes it hard for them to, to believe that they're not being lied to. Okay, yeah. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So if you are throwing people under the bus, it makes it hard not to feel like you're being thrown under the bus somewhere or you're fighting to, um, you know, to maintain what you think is your position and fortify yourself is, in, is impenetrable. And so I, you see this in, in uh, you know, I want to be careful how I talk about this, but I've experienced this. You see this in social circles, even in academia. And so, um, you, you know, you're, you make allies. I mean, the perfect, perfect picture. This is like those Island shows where, where people start. Yeah. You know, someone's trying to think of Lord of the flies. Yeah. Lord of the (laughs) flies. Right. Um, you know, what's the, what's the old, what's the Island? I forget the survivor survivor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Survivor. So you didn't see it on Gilligan's Island, but you see it on survivor. Yeah. You know, the, the, um, the, uh, uh, partnering together to advance a common goal. Um, and then people betray each other. And, you know, <laughs> it's like uh, one day they're, they're best friends. The next day they're, they're enemies and they're, they're trashing each other. Yeah. And um, it just, uh, it creates a, an air of falseness around what we say is integral and important. Like we talk in earnest about, let me just say for art, for, for instance, we talk about these like important ideas, you know, surrounding this sculpture or this painting um, in this person's studio practice. And then, you know, in the same breath, there's like this schism with that sincerity mm-hmm. and everything else we're doing. And so then it's like, what is the, the sincerity resting on? 
you know, what is our analysis of the work resting on? If we say this work is enriching or nourishing or transformational, why aren't we then transformed? Yeah. Why is the outcome more of the same? Um, and it's not always the case, but I mean, I've seen it a lot. I mean, I've seen it, you know, when I was in uh, Sacramento, I saw faculty that would, um, the temptation to pick at each other was always there in front of students. Mm-hmm. The temptation to kind of slight one or the other. And, you know, as this on, on, as the student on the receiving end, you, you're like, felt like you were being forced to take sides. It's like divorced parents, you know? Yeah. And, uh, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of, I have too many thoughts on this, but, but I mean, and I don't feel like I have like some kind of moralized answer to it. Cause I've certainly, you know, as much as I'd hate to say that I haven't, I've definitely talked about people in, in ways that I don't feel, it doesn't make you feel good, you know, but I've definitely succumbed to the temptation over my lifetime, certainly in the arts and academia. And as I've said, I've been on the receiving end of it in terrible ways. Um, I guess maybe one thing I think about too is like jealousy. Maybe jealousy is a part of it, throwing people under the bus because you're yeah. jealous that they have something you don't have. I don't know. Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, it, it, it's hard to have a conversation with this, uh, about this without talking about um, the reason that we demean other people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like the number one thing you always hear, whether it's, you know, growing up from some, you know, relative or teacher or even just from, uh, you know, voices in the culture is usually tearing down other people is a way to prop yourself up. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so, um, speaking from experience, I know the times where I've torn people down, thrown them under the bus, um, whatever kind of language you want to put to it. The times when I've done that most heavily mm-hmm. have been times where I really have been trying to grandstand for myself. Yeah. Like a like, self justification or something yeah, like that. Well, yeah. I didn't work hard enough, so I need to push the blame somewhere else because right. if they look over there, they won't look at me. So there's like yeah. a misdirection to it yeah. at times, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Right. Um, at least as, as I have experienced it personally as yeah. the person throwing folks under the bus, it has been, I didn't do my job. Yeah. I didn't know what I was doing. And I went to it ignorantly. Yeah. Um, I was lazy, um, or just having the insecurity that what I was doing was good because it wasn't being like, there wasn't some round of applause mm-hmm. when I was doing it, or it looked differently than the people I looked up to as like heroes in yep. the field. And so I didn't have any any gauge for it. And right. so with all of that sort of insecurity, um, some of it self-imposed and some of it just there as a young, uh, practicing artist or designer, um, that really did kind of fuel the flames a lot for what made me feel like this was the, this was the natural next step, right? Yeah. Like, well, I've got to do this to get somewhere. Right. Right. And that's what? tough yeah. to deal with. And I think it's something that a lot of folks can resonate with because, we've all been in those places yeah. where it's very sexy to be like, well, if I can gain an inch by chucking this person out of the bus, then maybe right. it's worth it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I wonder, I mean, I think it's like this thing, maybe, you know, maybe it's just an unchecked part of uh, being a person. And cause I guess my mind was thinking about, um, I've been around very creative people that are excellent but extremely critical. Yeah. And they, it's easier. So it's like, there's two, it's like, there's two directions that could go. It can go into the making of something, which is like, let's say that's the positive, but in the downtime away from making a thing, you exert that same criticality towards the making in the opposite direction, which is relentlessly expressing criticality of other people's work. 
um, because it feels good to exercise yourself. You know, it's like, it's like, you, you, it's like, um, difficult to exist in a space where you know things and not, um, just discipline yourself away from saying things. So you're always saying something. You're always critiquing. Yeah, that could have been a little of this. And there's this positive notion that, well, I'm, I'm being helpful. Yeah. Um, and then that criticality is so practiced that you get off script and you, you're frustrated. And now that criticality turns into like ad hominems, like you're attacking a person's character or their personality for things that have nothing to do with their personal style, let's say you're attacking their style of communication or whatever, yeah, like their and personal it, taste, their personal wrong. taste. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the way they wear their hat or whatever. And, you know, and that stuff just bleeds into your, your normal conduct. And you, you know, sometimes people, it's just whispers that, that, um, fester, but it does a kind of an othering mm-hmm. thing. You know, yeah, it, it starts definitely. to render people others and makes you fight harder to hold your position in relationship to those that you want, um, esteem from or affirmation from. And I think it just creates a very, very counterintuitive to being altruistically creative environment. And so I I think it strains a lot of the possibility out of the execution. I think that's one of the reasons why I think this is worth talking about is it, it means that we haven't seen the best of what it sounds so utopic and, and, you know, bring it man pie in the sky. And I, and I really don't mean, I don't mean it in a sentimental way, but it, it really means that we have not seen the best of what we're able to do um, possibly ever, uh, let alone recently. And what we tend to do is drift harder into the assumption that uh, this is a given. So we don't check this discussion. You see what I'm saying? Like, that's the point is like, we just run raggedly uh, along the assumed lines of this is just how it is. And uh, it's, you know, I'm trying to turn over every stone and think about this stuff. Like, so in my class, I'm, I'm constantly working to create a thriving environment that everybody can enter into and um, actually be deeply excited for each other. So not a cheap, naive excitement, not a, uh, you know, um, glazed over, you know, Hallmark movie type of sentimentality, yeah. but a deep, thoroughgoing excitement because everybody knows each other and they want to work towards the best for each other and, and, uh, for themselves and, um, orchestrating that is work resisting fighting against, um, preferring someone over another is a daily work. Um, it's a, it's a daily endeavor to do that, but the fruit of it is pretty incredible. Um, and so you see that and you go, you know, uh, whole universities could be this, Um, but it's a personal responsibility taking to say, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to resist. Even if I absolutely do not understand that person, don't like them, don't prefer them. I'm going to resist, uh, uh, talking excessively about them outside of our work. So at a minimum, we're cooperating together. You see what I'm saying? So the bare minimum becomes, I'm going to cooperate with this person. I'm going to hold my tongue. Um, even though it feels good, it's like scratching a, a scab or something like that. It can feel good for a moment, but what you're doing is opening up a womb that then it's going to take longer to heal, you know? So as long as you're scratching, it feels good. But once you stop, the impact is, is done. And, uh, um, I, I do, I just think that we haven't seen the best of what we're capable of as human beings because, uh, we're bound to like some kind of internal struggle, 
uh, that incessantly wants to throw each other the bus. I mean, I see it in my kids. Like the blame shifting thing starts right away. You know, I got a ten year old, a seven year old, a five year old. They will blame shift hard. They will. (laughs) They love each other, but they will blame each other all day. Mm -hmm. My son is a master at it. I don't even think no one's taught him that. He just it's in there. You you know, if you have kids, like you don't have to teach them how to do things. They there's a lot they just it comes as a package gig, you know, like it's yeah. in there. Like, Oh, how do you know how to do that? <laughs> it's just like a instinct, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but it, it, uh, it, I think it reduces like, you know, it reduces things to bare minimum projects. Um, you know, uh, then you're dissatisfied because you were buffered by your frustration and your bitterness and you're throwing people under the bus. Um, it makes you less vulnerable to correction, which means you can't grow. You see what I'm saying? Like it, it, it closes down on everything. So like, as you're struggling in dismissing other people, you're fortifying yourself, which means you could never imagine that somebody could like lovingly or caringly help you grow. Yeah. Because the likelihood is more, they're going to throw you into the bus. So it's self-fulfilling in that sense, which means you're not even your best. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it works from the personal to the macro um, and it puts everybody on edge where they dance around these, these lines that are really about something sort of sub uh, or beneath the work. But then we cultivate a language around it that makes it seem like I said before, like it's integral to the work. So it's a lie that everybody agrees to that enables it to continue. I don't know if that does that make no, yeah, sense. It does yeah. um, because the the idea that kind of keeps hitting back in my head is as you're talking this idea like what would it look like if we were as like the general posture of the industry? What if it changed from its cutthroat to its inclusive? It's open. It's mm-hmm. collaborative. Yeah, you know, like what what would that mean right. moving forward? If instead of our kind of traditional posture within the workforce instead of it being uh, closed down, what does it look like if our posture does open up? You know, because I think that, you know, there's, there's something extremely uncomfortable and vulnerable about being at a place where you say, hey, I've gone through school, maybe I've gotten my MFA, I'm out here, I'm a professional, and then turning to somebody and saying, how do you do this thing? Mm-hmm. Or what is this like? Or yeah. how could this be better? Yeah. There's something that I think we look at that and say, if I were to do that, then it erodes everything I've done. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe in some cases it would. Like if, right. if I had gone through like 14 years of medical school to be a surgeon mm-hmm. and I went into an operating room and said, hey, can you, can you tell me how to how make this incision? Yeah. People might say, well, what have you been doing this right. whole time? Right. But within what we do, that, that, that questioning, that learning, that ongoing nature of it should always be, in my opinion, a posture that we have. So it is, um, it does make me really wonder what would it look like if we did actually change that posture from a closed posture that is very self-focused to an open posture that was very collaboratively focused. Yeah. I mean, it's tough because I think, I don't know. I like, I hear what you're saying. And then I think like, man, I don't know the moat at the level of motivation. I think a lot of times it feels like our motives are not even clear to ourselves. Okay. Yeah. So, so because our motives aren't clear to ourselves, we try to realize something to see if it clarifies what our motives are. Cart before the horse kind of thing. 
So we're like looking for self-understanding, if you will, and at the expense of each other and the things we make. And so that's frustrating a lot of times because when it doesn't disclose what we are, what we're hoping for, even though, even though, I mean, the, oh gosh, the weird idea that we would recognize what's true about us upon seeing it without having known it is near impossible. Yeah. Because it requires some kind of prior knowledge. And so it sets you up to be frustrated and discontent. And so then, then we, we make up phrases like, well, it's not about the end, it's about the journey. Um, or I don't know, there's, there's a number of ways we sell through that kind of tension. And, um, but that dissatisfaction is there. And then you got to have a place for it to go. Like it, cause it's, it's just festering inside of you, you know? Um, so even with collaboration, if the intentions aren't clear, the communication then is not open and available. And there's not a certain amount of, uh, rest within each person, like what they're resting on allows them to be vulnerable, to disclose their motives, to subject themselves to each other so that communication can flow and in a kind of attunement can occur between the different people so that the project happens. So when you're working with the gallerist, like I've worked with gallerists that, um, you know, I've, I've shown in New York where, you know, I, I had somebody that curated a piece and then, it got there and it, I brought this piece. It was in pieces that had to be put together. And, you know, um, their inability to relate to me as a person was so high. They were, you know, they're in Chelsea, they're running a multi-million dollar gallery and their power play was just to remind me that I don't know what I'm doing. They know what they're doing. And it, it had to do with the placement of the work and, you know, the way it looked, the way it felt. And they were going to have me not show it because they saw it in part after agreeing to it in whole. And I was like, well, once it comes together, it'll look like what you wanted. They had a hard time seeing that. And they were so high on their power that they were afraid that it would if it doesn't. So then when I put it up, then they were like, well, it doesn't work. And, but they insisted it could only go in one place. And then I, you know, asked if I could move it where I thought it would work. And, uh, I, they gave me two hours and they're like, it doesn't work. It's out. And, the whole time, though, there's no like hum humanity to it. It was like all of it was like stoking their sense of power. And then everybody else that's working with them is just like following along. So excited to see someone else take a lashing. I mean, it was like a delight. It was almost like that was more delightful than actually the work would ever have been. The, the feeling of like having an artist come all the way from Richmond to New York, you know, from this VC or whatever, and then being able to tell them like, well, I brought you here and I can tell you to go and you'll have to do it. And I know that you want to be here, but I'm going to, I'm going to send you home anyways. I mean, yeah. it worked out like the work I've moved the work in and, and because they didn't know what they were doing and it worked well to where they kept the piece in. But, um, at every level, it was like this enculturated power organization where other minions were, were, feeding off that power. And so what they're being given is like a, you know, a, a underling or whatever is a picture of how you're supposed to conduct yourself. Um, yeah. Never dealing with whatever those deep motivations were of that particular gallerist, which I won't say their name. Um, there's so much that's not, we do not disclose to each other. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. We're not honest. No, I, I can, I can get behind that. Um, and I think sometimes, um, 
at least uh, in the, the times of my career, whether as a student or a professional, um, where I have seen the truth of that, mm-hmm. um, I might even kind of, uh, you know, build myself up a little bit by saying, well, you know, I, I, I wasn't honest because I didn't feel like my honesty would be accepted. Mm-hmm. You know, so that there's a, that if I'm honest, then that's going to give them the opening to just go ahead and throw me under the bus. Correct. I'd be like, well, yep, you're right. So if I come to somebody and I say, you know what, I'm just actually behind on this deadline. I've had a lot of things come up and I just can't meet the deadline that the contract stipulated. Right. My, my initial assumption is not going to be that the person on the receiving end of that conversation is going to have enough humanity in them to hear me, to understand, to be empathetic. Yeah. And then say, well, you know, things happen. We can, we can give you a couple more days. Mm-hmm. My initial assumption is going to be they will fire me. Right. They will void the contract. They'll give me a kill fee. They'll do something like that. Yeah. And this will be a hit. And then that hit becomes detrimental for the next client. And that won't happen. And, you know, mm-hmm. before too long, my discussion about being honest in my head turns into I've lost my entire career. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Know, it's it's yeah. easy for it to go into that. Extrapolate. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, I think that the, the level of honesty is not, is not there. And yeah. I think some of that is because we, we are not actually like, we're not good at honesty in a lot of ways. Right. You know, like, I mean, I, I think of just relationships with, with friends, yeah. like yeah, times yeah, I struggle and just, yeah. you know, and things that are just ridiculous. Yep. Um, like that we find places where we're just lying for no reason. Sure. You know, it's like, what, if I had told the truth, that wouldn't have mattered. Yeah. Nobody it wouldn't cares. have changed anything. Yeah. There's a certain amount that we're calculating. You're like, that doesn't change anything one way or the other. Yeah. You know? Um, and I, I think I've seen a drift, you know, in, in myself over the years and, um, you know, maybe my upbringing, but, and I definitely think you see this a lot is that kind of a therapeutic approach to your own state of being. And so there's a propensity towards, you know, one upping each other in terms of what is enabling you from doing life. And, uh, so it, it, it postures itself as an honesty, but it's just another set of fashionable, it's an, it's an, it's, you know, new clothing, but accomplishing the same feat. And I think because sometimes our motives are not disclosed to us. So it's, you're looking for a way of, exp- see, if you're looking to understand yourself through the exercising of certain impulses and inclinations and ideas into manifested expressions, a handshake, a high five, a hug, a relationship, a job, a work of art, a, des- a design strategy, those, if that is largely motivated by it, will tell me something about myself that I don't yet know, but need to know. And it doesn't do that. Um, it's going to further complicate the matter for you. And it's going to create a habit of needing things understood that way. That'll bleed into every aspect of your life. Like you will Mm. always look for confirmation. Right. And so, um, it's almost like if, from what you're saying, if, if, if the reason you're doing work is self-serving, then all of the modes and methods in your making will in one way or another turn into self-serving methods. Yeah. yeah. So then even when you're talking like, so let's say you're like, I, so like, take me for instance, I have certain health issues. They're real, but they're not always at play. Really? Mm-hmm. They are at play sometimes, but they're not always at play. And actually sometimes I don't know if they're at play or not. So the temptation for me is to spend it as though it's at play, even when it's not, because there will be times where I literally don't know why I did not do 
I don't like there's times where I don't know why I'm not doing what I should do. And, and I'm just kind of like a jellyfish, you know, and uh, and it's easier for me to exercise the grasping at an external justification. So I've created a litany of possible explanations that ex- are externalized to me that other people know about that I can point to to justify away my utter complacency. Um, because I don't fully understand it. You, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. But also because the posture of my uh, life has been largely predicated on the assumption that what I externalize is what defines me and explains me, but it hasn't done it very well. You know, not enough. Like, not that I still don't have a totally unclear understanding sometimes of my motives. And I think, you know what I mean? So, like, so when those mo like, I mean, just starting from just starting from that kind of place of accounting. I mean, I think that's probably why you know our team. If I could say one brag about the team that we have, is that everybody kind of knows each other. I mean, we we do live out what we believe in, mm-hmm. and that actually means like you know if you've you know I've been directing Shock Art Space for years. If you've worked with me, you kind of know um, my blind spots or where I suck. You know, I'm not all impeccable. Like I suck at things. And, uh, and sometimes I suck because I'm incapable. Sometimes I suck because, uh, the mysterious lack of effort it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a weird combination of both. Like I was telling Laura, we got in the car, we went to, a, you know, we had our hangout last night and, uh, I just told her, I was like, you know, I have a lot of regret. Like, uh, I don't want to say this too loudly cause I don't mean it. I'm not like, uh, overrun by this, Yeah, but I have a healthy recognition of how much time I've wasted in my life. Oh yeah. What I mean by that is I can say it's regrettable that I've wasted as much time as I have because I really have wasted. I can look back and go, gosh, I wasted a lot of my life. Um, I can see how being a better student in school would be benefiting me exactly with what I'm doing now for the sake of others, but I can't change the past. I can't do anything about it. You know, I've squandered it. And, um, but the, the mysterious part of it is like, I don't actually know why, you know, in a lot of ways, like I don't fully understand like why I wasted so much time which means I don't have an answer for how to not waste time in the future. Um, and I've done, some people will say, wow, you've done a lot of stuff. I, I get told that sometimes. Well, the hilarity is whatever that is has not done much to help me understand that. Does that make sense? Like I haven't. It does. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it does the opposite. It deepens the mystery and mm-hmm. makes you more desperate and more prone to gasp at uh, an answer that kind of disgruntledness will potentially toxify environments, work environments, and so on, unless there is the space to talk openly about it. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, so something has to give. And that's, I think that's the heart of this, is like, um, unless we create truly safe spaces to really, really talk and actually be wrong and uh, not know, like, but like, not yeah. fake, not know, not protective, not know, but be like, no, I legit don't know. And, and to the best of my ability, I can't, I can't, uh, you know, as much as I can say it in this moment, I, I, I'm being honest with you. You know what I mean? Like, unless you can do that and then, and then determine to work together, um, accounting for that, I think the other is, is high. It, it, it increases the likelihood. So what I was going to say with, with Shock Art Space is our team is pretty good at accounting for that. So because that's a part of our nucleus that we account for the elephant in the room and it's 
on the table as a part of how we discuss and talk about things, it helps us set reasonable expectations for what's possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It also helps us know when we're pushing past what's possible and we agree to do it while accounting for our problems. Yeah. You yeah, see what I'm saying? Definitely. Yeah. So it is a thing that I think flows. I don't know. I mean, I guess that's, that's it for me. That's like the, the way I would, that's the heart of it for me is, is, uh, um, it's the counter to the, 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 you can do it. You know, you have everything you need inside of you. You're awesome. Believe in yourself. It's like, I think we need a little bit of the opposite. I think we need a, a little bit of a honest skepticism and, and accounting for just how much we, we don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know? I, I lived that, that credo for a good decade. Wasn't credo a character in star Wars? No, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> Credo was a guy that was like, yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I, I lived, I lived that sort of, uh, that mindset of, um, you know, it's all in me and I can do it. Yeah. You know, the, the whole pull yourself up by your bootstraps, yeah. you know, uh, American idealism, like whatever, whatever thing you want to put on it. I was doing that for a solid 10 years and I can, I can, I can show you by pulling my empty pockets out what it did for me. Yeah. And, and, and not, and I'm not talking like just like a money sense. Sure. I'm, I'm talking about like everything. Like it, yeah. it left me with nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, it, I think it got me to a place where uh, some wisdom was gained because it took me all of that time to learn that I actually needed more people in my life than I had. Yeah, totally. Because I'd just been following after me for so long, mm-hmm. believing I did it. And then when I look back at that work, it's it, everybody's career. As you look back at the work you did before, there's a little tinge of like, ooh, that wasn't right. that great. Right. But this is different. Yeah. There's work I, I'm like, I am intentionally putting things in my way to forget that it ever existed. Yep. Um, because the work was so self-important. Mm-hmm. The work was so detached from the people I was around mm-hmm. in terms of like what influences I could have had to make my work better mm-hmm. or stronger. There's a lot of things there. So um, I know personally like what you're talking about. I experienced that and it was not helpful. Right. Um, not, not in the least. Um, but I think there's something, there's something so fantastic when a conversation like this gets opened up. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, uh, this past semester, uh, had a, a class of freshmen and on the first day I was like, what are you in this art school to do? Mm-hmm. And there were students who were like, I want to be a designer. I want to be a painter. I want to be a sculptor. And one student said, I legitimately do not know. Mm-hmm. I just know that I love making stuff and I always have. Mm-hmm. And there was kind of like this, this moment where everybody held their breath mm-hmm. and they almost were looking at me like, is it okay that they said that? Yeah. And I was like, that's a fantastic answer. It's I great. love your answer. It's open. It's honest. Yeah. But it actually also shows you that you are thinking about things through what you want to do and not necessarily what you want to be. Yeah. Right? Because those are very different. Yeah. Ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, and after that, it was like the whole class just kind of was like, oh, gosh, right. okay, okay, it's cool. I'm like, yeah, right. you're 18 years old. I have no expectation that you're going to know exactly what you want to do for yeah. the rest of your yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do have an expectation that you have a general trajectory, mm-hmm. you know, which is, you know, not that you've just come here and been like, well, somebody said art was kind of neat, so I thought I'd do it. Yeah. You know, um, but Think once that question, once that answer of I don't know was okayed, Mm -hmm. It was like all the other conversation for the next rest of that course was much more open because I don't know was on the table. Sure. Yeah. No, I think, uh, I mean, 
the I don't know question is like a, I just had this picture of like a, and not that somebody in that room doesn't know. So I don't want to yeah. ever say that there isn't folks that are, have a, a, a kind of a clear idea, but you know, we are necessarily, um, we're coming into being kinds of beings. Mm-hmm. So there's always a kind of a perpetual state possibly of, of potential there as far as knowing goes like, so for your life, cycle or whatever your life arc whatever you want to call it but um yeah the way you're talking about that was almost like a a pulling a drain out of a bathtub and all the water yeah emptying out you know it kind of pulls things out and then my mind just sort of jumped to um not not internet bashing or you know now the the uh someone was saying the okay boomer thing right and and you know because i'm so i'm being a boomer right now um (laughs) (laughs) boomer is i always think of boomer as which is also funny to my mind personally, but because um, I have to think that whenever someone says, okay, boomer, they're talking about this quarterback that played in the 80s. Yeah, I see Just like even, now. Yeah, okay. So, um, but I'm like, you know, like the thing is, man, as confidently as you're saying that, you're going to have a generation, if you're lucky, that's <laughs> saying that about you. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's just inevitable. Like um, old, old people wisdom is inevitable because we get old, hopefully. But uh, yes, so in my best boomer self, uh, the culture we're creating. I mean, if anthropologists go back and they look at what we've manufactured, I mean, you know, we're the generation that produced memes, you know, like we make a lot of things that aren't, you know, I don't want to cross over too hard. We make a lot of things that don't necessarily say a lot about us as Mm -hmm. human beings. And so, I, I mean, me, me included, like I spend, I love memes. So I spend way more, too much time, as you know, sending you things oh, that yeah. are sarcastic and <laughs> utterly dumb. As I said before, I feel like I've wasted more of my potential on the declining of culture than the building up of culture. Mm-hmm. Because the positive building up of culture is like damn hard and <laughs> yes. not for the faint of hearted and maybe fewer people. And I'm not even saying I'm one of them. So don't even hear that. Uh, I might just be sorely misguided, but it's for far, it's for fewer and far between, I think. Uh And that's a scary thought because then what, what do people do with themselves? Yeah. Not to go too meta, but I think we have really, really created a trajectory for ourselves. That's highly problematic because at every turn we're eviscerating a place for human beings to be productive. And you got to ask why, you know, I know this is like jumping, making a huge jump, but I think there's a correlation there, you know, and um, the more dissatisfied we are with something without acknowledging, I think the premise of I'm not clear on my motives, like a a kind of a clearing of humility means that we drive further into solutions that maintain a covering for this lack of disclosure. And so culturally speaking, then we're constantly covering for our problems with new solutions, new design solutions, new creative solutions, new fashion, new, new films. And those continue to drive the problem further. You know, it's like fast food's not enough. So I'm going to, like I was in Taco Bell, this is my ubiquitous Taco Bell comment, but we were listening to employee talk and they said that they're going to be moving into a place where there's no one working inside the Taco Bell. Yeah. Um, you won't talk like there might be a couple cooks in the back 
and you just order off of a button, it places, there's no, nobody to talk to when you place your order. And, you know, what's the solution to that? Well, save some money. But also we're paying so low that the people that are working there are bored. They're grouchy. They're disgruntled. They're dissatisfied. So we don't deal with the, the person. We eliminate the person. Um, and then what do they do? Where do they go? Well, we got to decre- decrease the population, I suppose. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know. But um, I guess I'm just trying to draw a big picture and say that um, the smallest expressions of this kind of discussion have the largest of implications over time. Well, I think, I mean, you're talking about that and, uh, you know, you're talking about the, you know, the, the mechanization of, of Taco Bell into a, a non-human yes. experience. Yes. But then I, I, I drift into conversations with, that I've had with students over the last 10 or 15 years that, uh, very much are, you know, Oh, when I, when I get out, I'm going to start my own studio. When I get out, I'm going to be a freelancer. Um, and it's like, well, why? Well, I really like what I do and it's, it's hard to work with people. <laughs> and I was like, but, but who's your studio going to work with? And like, when you freelance, who do you work with? You don't, you don't get to cut off that into the relationship. I blame it on star Wars, man. R2D2 and C3PO are more humanizing than, than, uh, no, I'm kidding with you, but no, that's a, that's a phenomenal point, man. I mean, because it really, yeah. it feels kind of the same yeah, way yeah, yeah. where it's like, I don't want to have to deal with all the things you just talked about with Taco Bell. So instead of just do my own thing yep. and, and I'm not knocking that. I mean, yeah. as the person who literally has done his own thing, I'm not knocking that. But what I will say is the most um, fantastic years of that were the ones where I was most highly invested with other people in yeah, that it's pursuit. A, it's, uh, yeah. It's, it's the, it's the messiness. It's like that. This is way before my time even, but there's this weird, um, you remember Gumby? Oh, heck yeah. Okay. So there's a weird episode of Gumby and Pokey where these kids live on their own planets and Gumby's in a (laughs) spaceship. It's such a weird. I'm tracking 100%. makes total sense. Dude. Yeah. Like, and they, you know, Gumby like shows up on these other people's planets where basically they're dissatisfied. So they create their own planet or whatever. Mm -hmm. They're on their own planet where they have their own rules and anything that enters into their sphere is disruptive to their rules. And so it's uninhabitable for Gumby and Pokey. Um, And none of the, if I, I mean, it's a long time ago, but none of the places are habitable. Um, So, you know, uh, the ambitions to go to Mars with the idea that's going to become more habitable doesn't account for how inhabitable we are with each other internally. And so all you're doing is expanding the problem to another planet um, and uh, humanizing each other and, and knowing each other and, and making habitable spaces that have an enriching, vitalizing, aesthetic, um, enduring effect such that um, it optimizes the state of affairs for our existence where we delight in each other. Like, here's the thing. This is the most sappy thing I'll say. Um, but there's no other way of saying it at the end of the day, uh, there's a deep hunger for joy and we can't find it. And so, but some part of it has to do with the cultivating of culture. So, you know, we just went to the ballet, my kid and saw the nutcracker, my kids were full of joy and someone worked hard to make the carpenter theater. Those, 
the, the people performing in the ballet worked hard. The costume designers worked hard so that my kids could have a smile on their face. Yeah. At the end of every human expression, it is another person. And um, uh, let's be honest, when a meal is really great and you're sitting with people you like, joy follows. Mm-hmm. So um, to act as though that's possible without each other um, is to appeal to some other kind of possibility that I don't, I don't see existing. Yeah. I've never had that experience. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like as, um, as a, like a type A personality mm-hmm. that is very much an introvert and completely okay with being in somewhat stages of isolation. Like I'm okay with that stuff. Yeah. But even with that knowledge, um, like the stuff that's happened with Shock Art Space in the last few years with the team that we have, it's been some of the most enriching and joyful yep. stuff I've done. Yep. And it's not because what we're doing in Shaco Art Space has differed so greatly than what I was wanting to do or was Correct. doing by myself. Sure. It's because the other people are there. Yeah, it's true. And it's and it is. It, it is an easy thing to say, oh well, they're the problem. And I and I understand where that comes from because yeah. I, I mean I, I have that temptation so much. They're the problem, but it's not that the people are the problem. It's that the it is hard to have relationships. It's yeah. hard to get to know people. It is hard to open up and be vulnerable to a place where you are actually in a meaningful relationship right. with somebody. Right. It is very difficult because all of that has the thing in the back of your mind that says at some point this person could hurt me. Yeah. 100%. Or something could happen and they're not here and I'm hurt. Yeah. I've been through that. Uh, with work relationships and personal relationships. Sure. All of us have. Yeah. And so there's always that trepidation to say, maybe I don't step fully into that. Yeah. 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 But the trade off is you don't have any of the possibility for that kind of abundance of uh, fun and joy and right. uh, collaboration and, and, and expectation towards other things and generative uh, yeah. uh, cycles of creation. Yeah. Like you don't have those things nah, if, you, if you stop it. Yep. You know, like if I were to approach every meal I ate, and say, you know what, this might make my stomach hurt. So I just, I just won't eat it. Right. I'm just going to stick to like this, like dry bread over here. Yeah. There's a possibility that's lost just in the kind of grandstanding to avoid something that actually is very minimal when you talk about what is there is to gain at the end of it. Well, you're talking to like that point, you're talking about a loss of control. So like, as you're talking on like, there's like kind of, uh, as you know, I've had to relinquish some control over things and uh, trust in the fallibility of other people, but also the possibility of other people, including you and other, other folks. So like, yeah, yeah. that takes time. And, um, but then, so what's nice about the loss of control, cause you don't really have it anyways. Yeah. Not, not like you think is the surprise that comes when people not only do what you hoped, but do what you couldn't have seen. Mm-hmm. and then exceed your expectations and there's a delight that comes from working together mm-hmm. um and when you look at like some of the best like i was watching that you know some of, some of you might have seen this the the shows on how toys were made mm-hmm. the toys that made us on it's on netflix um the toys that made us i don't know if i get in trouble for that but um <laughs> but uh no the, you know they had the, the guys that made the ninja turtles and yeah. they talk about their friendship as like this like once in a lifetime friendship. But um and so like at its core, like they're just their their common unity and their love for comic books. They start this, you know, upstart comic book company. They def- they make their their creative 
genesis for Ninja Turtles was their joy for each other and their sense of humor. And so they're drawing these turtles to make each other laugh out of the <laughs> nucleus and core of their friendship, yeah. right? At the center of it all is they just actually liked each other mm-hmm. and they knew each other and they had they loved the same stuff. And so they make this thing and then they go, oh my gosh, like this might be something. And they bring it to somebody else. They go, crap, this is awesome. And then if you watch their story unfold, it's worth watching, is it gets a little further down the road and now power is at play, money's at play, mm-hmm. stewardship's at play. And at some point they depart, they part ways because other stuff got in the way. And um, you know, it gets difficult. Yeah. Um, and then they kind of like, I think at the end of it, they meet the, the, the episode allows them to meet. It's worth watching. But I've seen that, I've seen that kind of play out. You see it play out with rock bands. You see I was it play say, out. You're, you're talking about the Beatles right there. Yeah, the Beatles, man. Like, I mean, they were garbage musicians when they met at like 14 or 15. Yeah. And they could barely strum a chord, but they had this deep desire and they mm-hmm. loved the same kind of music. I right. mean, they were, they were into like, you know, the kind of Americana, like rockabilly yeah. stuff. Then it drew them together. Yep. They wanted to do this and they met some people that had a bit more skill that taught them some stuff. It was a highly yeah. collaborative early on. Same situation, same setup. And they made yeah. music that influenced countless genres sure yeah yeah they're they're and then and then they then they then they departed yep and uh and the rest is history yoko yeah um yoko got in the way but that's what some say i don't know if that's totally true or not but um i mean i think i think what those that that is is that those departures the the departures are there like some things are just meant to live a certain lifespan together but yeah. then you know you wonder if there was some scaffolding in the, the relating that comes prior to the common unity that can uh, mitigate departures and mitigate people breaking up. Like how many, I'm just how many great cultural endeavors end in a breakup? Um, you know, I was thinking about like the uh, Tribe Called Quest documentary mm-hmm. is really worth watching if you have uh, Beats Rhymes on Life. I think it's I think it's based on their album, but um, Q-Tip is brilliant. But his uh, need to control everything seemed to be a blessing and a curse. Like it's like it enabled them to make incredible music, the musicality of Tribe Called Quest. And he, he's definitely visionary. The cost of that though, is the dehumanizing of Fife. Like one of the three or four is, uh, um, constantly feeling like he's on the creative low, low end of the stick. Mm-hmm. And because one is just utterly controlling the rest. And, um, so then this is like this love hate relationship. They break up and then five dies and you know, um, but it's interesting how you see these, uh, trends play themselves out across generations, across cultures. Um, and so like, I think if you're sitting down, like, I mean, I think, I think one of the first things I told you is like, you're going to have to be able to, you know, you're going to see me do things and say things that are just utterly dumb. And you've got to be, you've got to talk to me. Cause if not, you're going to stuff it and then it's going to blow up at some point. And yeah. so if we're going to actually partner together and really, really make something, we have to talk to each other. And uh, that I think, I think, I guess where I was going with all of this is it seems like maybe that's a commitment that has to be re-upped as you're working together um, in a subjective way because you're, if you're working together and the work is doing something, you're probably being changed, which means to mm-hmm. re-up also then has to take on an accounting for what has changed. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So you have to build a, a conversational makeup into the, the team so that you're not merely collaborating to the point of explosion or implosion, but to the point of uh, accomplishing the work in a collaborative sense such that it puts you into different plateaus where you need to talk again 
and you need to do the repetitive thing of saying, where are we at? How do we account for this? How do we account for our desires? And, and how do we go forward? You see what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. Because um, I think, you know, the whole, the whole communication aspect of it is huge because it is very hard to not care about, it is very hard to not care about somebody that you are actually clearly communicating with. Yeah, it, it makes or, it much harder. Or you, maybe you don't care for them, but it, it's hard to be highly dismissive of them. Right, right. Right, like there's, there's something about looking at somebody in the eye, talking yeah. to them in an honest way that yeah. makes it very difficult to dehumanize them. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know that from, you know, with our, our families, I've been with Laura going on 19 years. So, you know, even in our family, like sometimes I don't do it enough, but we have uh, re-up times together. Oh yeah. I mean, that's exactly where I was going to go with it because, you know, with with my wife, we, um, you know, we have family, uh, in another part of the country. And so every once in a while we go on a trip to go see them and we use that time. The kids pass out in the back seat, or maybe they're watching star Wars or something like that. And that's the time where we really get to just say, Hey, how, how are things? Like, where are we? What's going on? You know? And, uh, we share that with a lot of, uh, maybe some of the folks that we know that are in relationships that are new or, or, or burgeoning or whatever. Yeah. Or like, yeah, you never lose sight of that right. coming back together to talk. Because mm. um, if you do, all the other stuff falls away. Sure. It's it's only held together through mm-hmm. that communication because the communication is integral to that relationship. Yep. And the same is true with art and design. Um, where I've had breakdowns with people that I've worked with in the past, I can point all of them back to a lack of communication yeah. or a faltering of communication or just thinking it didn't matter that they understood that I assumed and didn't need to communicate. Mm-hmm. That's where it all came from. Sure. That there wasn't a discussion. There wasn't me just sitting down and saying, Hey, here's what's going on. This is why this is slow or this is why we're picking this up or this is why this is happening or this is what I see in the future. Um, which is something I really do appreciate about what we do. I mean, honestly, I mean the heart of what we do with this podcast is we sit here for hours and we talk to each other. Yeah. Which is fantastic. But there's still communication that has to happen. No, yeah, this wouldn't this. even be possible unless, I mean, and some people might prefer it. They may not like, it just depends on, I think there's a million different ways that these things are happening. And I think we've, we've made a choice to kind of chart out a conversation that puts us in a more vulnerable state. But the truth is, I mean, we're talking all the time. So, so, um, this rests on that. And I think that's why, why it is what it is. But, um, you know, I'm open to talk. I mean, here's the other thing too. The, the, um, the practice of being open mm-hmm. makes you better at it sooner. So like the, the how, how do you make this the case? Well, um, I can remember feeling like as a young person that you had to earn your way into my space mm-hmm. or vice versa. I had to earn my way into your space and I would look for signifiers like, oh, you told me something very personal. And so that means that you've let me into, you know, a point I had to earn my way and there's a badge of honor with it. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's true. There's also the person who just utterly tells you everything up front to where you're like, that doesn't, that's off. Like I'm almost put off by that typically. Yeah. But, um, so it's not vomiting your whole existence. It's not withholding your whole existence and making someone fight for it. It's, so, it's like a third way. And the third way is I think the more practice you are at um, getting clear on your haves and have nots, your, your sort of state of being, um, the more transparent you can be, the more consistent you are in that sense, the easier it is to do it in new occasions um, because of the continuity. So Almost like practice? Almost like practice, yeah. So yeah. practicing it. And 
as I've said before, I, I hope this is true. I think this is true. I think this is true of you as well. Is I'm I'm kind of the same. You know, I may tell a couple more jokes. I might get sillier sometimes, or I might get more intense. But generally speaking, I'm kind of the same person everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't doesn't change much. So, but that's only because I've just it's just a lot of practice at just being uh, largely okay with where you're at, and then fight through it when you're not. You know, having the hard conversations, whether you come out looking like a heel, which I have, or or on the other end where you didn't do deliver it perfectly, but it still generated a better state of relationship with someone else. Um, sometimes it results in no longer talking to somebody. But at the end of the day, I feel like the more practice I am at, the easier it is for a new person to meet me and feel like they can know me. Um, and and know, know me without having to earn it, but also without me burdening them manipulating them or whatever. It's just a, a kind of a state of transparency, if you will. Um, and uh, it makes it easier to work together collaboratively. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because you kind of can see each other. You're like, okay, I can deal a lot of times with where where someone falls short if I can see it and they're open and they're aware. And if I can be aware of my own state, then I'm like, we agree that we see each other and we're going to determine to work together accounting for those things. It's like uh, I've often told students when they're going to get roommates, you know, hey, sit down and have a conversation about the ways you stink. So don't put on your best front, put on your worst. I am anorotentive and I have to have everything spick and span all the time. Okay, I am an utter mess. The likelihood that I'm going to pick up after myself is so small. Okay. Can we agree to do this? You, you see what I'm saying? As opposed to like, oh yeah, I'm totally good with that. Oh yeah, me too. Yeah. I don't mind a little mess. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty good at picking up after myself. And then what happens? Four months in, you're hating each other. I've seen this so many times. So I'm like, don't start with the worst of who you are. Start with the truth of who, or not the best of who you who you'd like to be. Mm-hmm. But start with where you're really at. You know. So then you can really sync up. And then there's no there's there's fewer surprises that offset your idealism and then you're not throwing each other under the bus talking to someone else about how your roommate sucks because they always want everything clean and vice versa. Yeah. There's something about expectations and communication that just are not cultivated. And maybe it's because money is time and time is money. I don't know, but it, it isn't, um, isn't producing the kind of results that it should. And so there should be a premium on it. I think, I think, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, this is yeah. good because the, the next thing I was going to say is, you know, I was going to ask you, like, how how granular do you feel comfortable going this episode? Like, with this uh, question of, 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 like, how do we do it? Like, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of folks are like, this all sounds great. I'm on board with you. I yeah. get it. Um, but, like, what does it look like to practice this in a small way? Because I feel like a lot of the times I'm not thinking about it until I'm just in the position to start throwing that person under the bus. Yeah. That, like, it catches up with me. So yeah. what do those small steps look like? What do the little practices right. look like, especially as it relates to how we might run a studio better or a yep. collaborative practice, yep. you know? Um, Cause one thing I think of just going from our personal experience. All right. So we, we put together this documentary. All right. And um, there was a conversation that you and I had and uh, you know, I'm open to sharing this dialogue that we had back and forth. Um, where, you know, you and uh, Nick were doing a lot of stuff on the documentary. And I was like, I don't know how I really fit into this. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was starting to kind of harbor some like, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to call this a we project because I'm, I'm not doing stuff with it right now. 
And I think one of the things was like, there was just the need for me to even express my feelings mm-hmm. in that moment. And uh, just to tell you like, Hey, um, you know, I don't, I don't know how I really fit into this project that you keep sharing with me. Mm-hmm. You know, what does this look like? Um, and it was good because it became highly generative mm-hmm. because then you were able to say, well, this is actually what this looks like. And it's not all this stuff at the same time. We're not doing everything at the same time. You know, all yeah. this stuff came out of it. Sure. And so even that, just that kind of a small practice, if we were to make like a, a list of like, here are some, te- some things you can do to, to work on this. I think one of them is like actually share what you're feeling like in, yeah. a, in a real yeah, way. Yeah. Yeah. Not in a way that's explosive or detrimental to people, right. but just to say, hey, this is this yeah. is how I feel. And share, share it with an open hand to being misinformed or being properly informed. So like yeah. so what I'm saying is you might be you might be sensing what's true. The question is what does it mean? Mm. It may not mean what you think. It just may mean that it's a necessary part of a larger whole and um, values not attached to role. You know, so one of my things was even if you're not working on something, is it still a we? It should be. Yeah. And that was part of our discussion, which was mm-hmm. good. Um, and it's actually good because once we had that discussion, then it opened up to like, oh, well, what are the actual parts of this that could be exactly. something I'm contributing to? Exactly. Which then happened in the rest of history, right? Yeah. Um, and sometimes you can't force that. You have to let people come to those conclusions and then have those conversations. So you have to be patient. So one thing I've learned to do is be patient with people. Okay. And even if I see things, uh, like let's say in a leadership role, I've found that there are times to intervene and there's times to be patient. There's times to stay connected and let someone own their, their stuff and take responsibility for it, bring it to the table. And then you have to be uh, exercising restraint all the time. That's one thing that I've learned is like that I've struggled with in the past and, you know, I've had my seasons up and down is there's two things I'm trying to do is trying to actually see people for the best of who they are, uh, value them accordingly, not demand that they prove it all the time and then fight in the moment to remember that. So the practice of thinking well of people yeah. creates a surplus so that when I'm in a moment with someone, the surplus is there of thinking well of someone so that I'm giving them a kind of grace and a kind of space to fall short of, of the best of that I think with them without it being like a loss per se, so that I can absorb that emotionally, intellectually, um, because I, if I'm being honest, I need that too. Like mm-hmm. we all, we all do not to, yeah. right. So, so like, let's say somebody has a propensity to put their foot in their mouth all the time, mm-hmm. but because I've been practicing seeing the best in them long-term, uh, there's a certain amount of that, that I can absorb, I can absorb, um, in order to give them space to, to get better at it. You see what I'm saying now? if over extended periods of times, it's just a problem. Well, hopefully I've practiced a certain amount of kindness to them that it's real. You know, I don't want to practice doesn't mean inauthentic. And I think that's a big, gosh, if there's a side topic, it'd be like, what is authentic? Mm -hmm. Um, But hopefully then my relational building with them has created a surplus in them to receive a certain amount of, uh, criticality from me. Mm-hmm. So, um, so thinking well of people means every day, every moment posturing yourself in that way. And it's not easy. I mean, I'm not saying 
and not you're not going to do it perfectly but um in being ready to like not demean someone you know mm-hmm. and so like i have to do that like i ha- like you know i don't want to say too much but i'm in a place where i have to do that mm-hmm. and it's difficult and there are times when when um maybe i say four things and then bow, bow out cuz one of the things too is with gossip let's say yeah is if you don't gossip you may be on the outs with the people you want to be in with mm-hmm. that's hard and nobody likes a goody two shoes you know it's like the times when i haven't been drinking because of my liver or whatever but sometimes folks don't want to it's like it's uncomfortable like if you're abstaining from something that they're all partaking in whatever it is mm-hmm. we're all eating taco bell and you're like i don't eat taco bell yeah you don't feel as uh in <laughs> you're you're made aware of like oh you mean not everybody wants to eat terrible like i do you know what i'm saying like <laughs> wait what um and if you have a conscience you're going to be a little bit like disrupted by that but i mean i think that's like part of what we have to be okay with we have to be okay with a little bit of disruption mm-hmm. um uh, at a minimum at best you know we are not threatened by it at all and we're like okay cool but that's not that's not typical. So you have to have some fortitude to be okay with not being the gossip in the room. Yeah, you know, and you have to be able to do it in a way where you're not shaming anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because they, I think the, yeah. the flip side of what you're saying is uh, to do that, but then to take on a uh, a posture of like, oh, well, I'm now I'm obviously better than you. Yeah, you, yeah, you don't so gain you any got, value. You got from those that. two ditches, 100%, right? That's where right. you where you demean everybody, or you like exalt yourself to yep. such a high station that's that right everybody is below yeah. you like you're doing yeah, yeah. the same thing you're doing you're the just same doing thing you just ways. you just put on different pair of pants yeah so that would be the thing is you can't go and put another pair of pants on you can stand in the room or stand with folks and and uh just gently nudge things in a different way yeah um and know that you are not getting any value you're not any better because you're not <laughs> it's just that there's it uh um you're 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 trying to shift the dynamic a cultural dynamic mm-hmm. and make it a more uh constructive or uh, beneficial place for everybody and um that may you know i mean you look at like the way things change in families like there's things that i don't know uh ways that my mom was brought up that affected her and then and then affected me but i can't radically change but i am changing mm-hmm that change will, if, you know, let's say if my kids were to have kids, like maybe that change will be more actualized in my, in my, um, my grandkids. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? That's yeah. a multi-generational change. We're very, so this is the thing. We're very impatient. We want expediency all the time. The question is, what, what do we think we're moving towards and why do we want to get there so quickly? And, and how does that falsify the way a lot of things actually transact within organic human beings and, uh, how can we get some back to some of that? Mm-hmm. How can we slow? Slowing down doesn't mean stopping. It just means slowing down. Yeah. I think we hear slowing down, we think stop. And that's not what it means. But, but I do think we can slow down and actually uh, take into account for how, how certain uh, artificial change is not necessarily change. Yeah. I don't know. Well, my mind was going to the place, um, I think that you just took it with, with this. Um, we tend to do things like this, throwing people under the bus and all because we we lose a sense of time, mm-hmm. uh, so le- everything lives in the immediacy of now. That's right, exactly. Um, and when that happens, then well, then there are a lot of very great options, right? Like mm-hmm. if if all I have is right now, um, and my career is not long, 
and it is not a journey that actually is going somewhere, if it's just now, Mm -hmm. then I can just be um, dealing highly in just sensory uh, pleasure. Yeah. Right. So it feels good to, to put that person uh, in their place. Yeah. It feels good to cut off this relationship. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it feels good in this, that or the other, but we have a tendency to then not think beyond that. Yeah. So, you know, we, I mean, we've got cliches that sum this stuff up, right? Yeah, you know, right. win the battle, lose the war. Yeah. Um, which is, uh, you know, maybe a bit more violent imagery than you might want to have for it, but it's, it's the same thing. Like, oh, this is a this is a plus today, but six months from now, three yeah. years from now, the justification is well, we only have the moment, anyways. Well, you maybe only have the moment, but we don't know about everybody else. So, but it also, does, your ability to say that, yeah, has been because you are existing in a place that is a culmination of previous moments. That's exactly right, and you didn't coin the phrase, which meant someone else someone else handed it down to you. So there is some so, sort of communal experience that's, right. that's going on. The that profound wisdom irony. can be taken from. That's exactly right. There's so much in that. Yeah, it's such a. If I could say we only have the moment is crap. <laughs> I would it's agree. Crap. I would because agree. it takes a succession of moments to say the statement. And also, like, uh, anybody who has gone through uh, an art or design school, gotten any sort of degree or spent time in there, uh, to hear something like that come out of their mouth, then it's like, well, why'd you ever even go to school? Yeah, why go to about school? the moment. Why'd you yeah, look yeah. forward and yeah. plan for this? And Dude, if I only had the moment, I'd be acting a lot. I mean, I may I may, I may, may not. You know, things could happen. We're, we're, we're definitely mortal beings, but... Um, there's a whole you know other discussion there, but um, if I only had the moment, I'd, I'd still be asleep right now. It's a very very weak, uh, it's a very very shallow. I mean, there, there's nothing naive, in that phrase that makes yeah. me want to do anything productive. Yeah, or I'm not. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm trying to be honest. It's very naive. It's very naive. Mm-hmm. Um, houses aren't built in a moment. Virtually nothing that you do is in a moment. Yeah. And so you, you may be mortal. It could end. It should cause you to actually think deeper and raise better questions. And it should angle you towards um, less trivial things. But the we only have a moment uh, frees us to triviality. Yeah. So I'm going to sound like a total jerk now. Um, okay, now, boomer. Yeah, okay, boomer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Boomer Esiason. Okay, Boomer. Okay, Esiason. Yeah, that's, that's mine. Okay, Esiason. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, I mean, it I does. just like the word Boomer too much, so I'm like, it doesn't work on me at all. I'm like, yeah, I love that. Thank you. Well, it's so great because the people that are being told that are usually not actually exactly. If that's yeah. an, that's the one thing I was like, am I a Boomer for calling that out? <laughs> Probably know, right? so. It's like, um, so I was like, what are like Gen Z's going to be Zoomers? Zoomers. And boomers okay, Zoomers. Too. All right, Zoomers. I'm just going to go to the future and start naming. You know, I'm, I'm living in the future and you can't tell me I'm not. And so I'm going to start calling people. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> memers. Future, future thinking, calling people out. Yeah, I'm going to future think, call people out. We're going we're gonna to throw people under the future bus. Yeah, you're getting thrown under the future bus now because you only have the moment. <laughs> so that's why I'm doing it that way. <laughs> but I think you know, kind of, and there's a there's a non sequitur we haven't had in a while. Um, here's like we, my well, here's my other favorite too. If you only live in the, I mean, we're so tangential. But if you only live in the moment, then you should never be angry because it just anger deals important. with anger deals with thwarted expectations. Yeah, and and to expect is to say there's more than the moment. Yeah. So so stop. So we have to get this comes back like we we're just uh, in denial. It's denial. <laughs> Make everything move faster so I can capitulate my denial. I probably yeah. should stop. 
I'm no, sorry. I'm getting, it's, I'm getting, it's getting close to lunch. I think I'm getting hungry. <laughs> you got that. You got that hangry rant happening. Yeah, I got, I'm getting hangry. Hangry games. <laughs> well, the uh, you know, but I think it's a it is an important point though. Um, if if all we're doing is living in the moment, then a lot of things are fair game. But if we actually do want to make careers, we want to be productive, we want to be culture builders, we want to live in community with other artists and designers that that push us to excel at what we do, to make things matter and have value that lasts beyond the the thing that I made but moves into something else. If all those things are actually those deeper desires that we have, then we've got to think of what, I'm sorry to say this, what the ramifications of those actions are. Right? Correct. You know, and I know it's not that, that like is not, it's not a fun thing yeah, to do. Nobody you, wants to, to be yeah, in that to spot. Think, yeah, to think of that is, it's, I think it's to actually become more human and to be more than, than you've settled for, um, to be more robust, to be more complete. Uh, there's something attractive about people that take responsibility and do it with humility. But it's also, I mean, as a designer, I don't have an issue with this because we, we throw around a word in design a lot that yeah. is this, and we just call it strategy, Yeah, right? What happens when this happens? Or I think it was President Bush that called it strategize. Strategics. Mission accomplished. Mission strategic. We're going to just strategize. Fool, fool me once. Shame on you. <laughs> fool me twice. <laughs> That's a Not treasure. Shamed again. His gaffes are a treasure trove of they laughter. Are. And you, 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 Things are so whack right now. You just forget how whack he was. Yeah. And then you go back and you're like, it's uncanny. It's quaint. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Recruiterments. Yes. It's so good. Strategification. (laughs) We're going to (laughs) strategificate. You got the the president with closed captions 24 hours. Today. Yeah. There was just that, the commemorating of the video where someone threw a chair, a shoe at him and he yeah. dodged the shoe. I was uh-huh. like, that's an amazing thing that, that actually happened. Yeah. Unreal. And that <laughs> yeah. docile look in his eyes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like, <laughs> Nope. Which Will Ferrell captured so well, that yes. weird dumbness in his eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> Sorry. See, I'm throwing up. I'm throwing, here he goes. Like it's, it's, it's just, uh, a, it's a reflex. Yeah. Like a hurricane rocked you. <laughs> well, the, um, you know, I think that um, there's a lot of things that um, I also think about in terms of like daily practices. So, you know, we, what we've kind of talked about a few of them um, to be in the moment, uh, understanding and working hard to maintain other people's humanity. Yes. Right. Uh, listening, uh, being honest, uh, mm-hmm. having conversations that open communication. Like, mm-hmm. I think all of these help us in that pursuit. And the funny thing is, all of these also help us within our personal practices. Yeah. So everything that I just said makes me a better designer yep. because I get to actually talk to my clients well. Right. Or I get to think through projects well. Yep. Um, and then there's, there's something I kind of want to put out there, which is I hope that when I am dead and gone, the people after me are making better stuff than I have. Yeah. Like there's, there's something where I don't want to be the pinnacle. Yeah. And I know that that's like, yeah, you know, yeah. we want to be the zenith. Yeah, we want to yeah. be the top of the It's middle. overrated and it's just not even real. But, it, you know, I think, you know, most of the people that were the zenith, most people that are perceived, it's, it's sort of past tense. Yeah. You know, a lot of them. Like that sun has risen and set. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, they were the zenith. They, they weren't living with that knowledge. Yeah. Not, not, not really. Mm-hmm. Most of the great people were just doing what they thought they, they were doing what they always did. Right. You know, and then we go, wow. But they, they were just doing it, you know. Um, and uh, one of the things I throw in there in your list is uh, I think to be human is to bear the 
burdens other people place on you and to absorb some of the cost of that. That's partly what I mean by know and be known. What do you, well, can you flesh that out some? So let's say you are, let's say I'm late a lot because I am. <laughs> <laughs> There's a certain amount of cost that's bore out in that equation that isn't just placed on me. It's placed on you like mm-hmm. today. So I was late today, <laughs> two days in a row. Um, now, we can work towards that. You know, I have to work on that with my family. Like we share a car. It's just there's just uh, a litany of areas I have to work on that. Like I have to work on that in you know with my wife. I have to work on that with myself. Like sometimes I, you know, like this morning I woke up and I just could not move. Like I just couldn't. I, I mean, I guess I could, but I just I couldn't. You know, it was just a struggle. Um, so I had to text you and say, hey, we got to push it back. Mm-hmm. And then I was still late because it's a sequence of events. So you you ultimately had to bear some of the cost of that. Question is, do you could you? Yeah. Maybe you couldn't. Maybe you had. To, maybe you could have been like, I can't do it today. Then. Yeah. yeah. That would be the consequence, right? Mm-hmm. Or you could. And can we work at it? You know. So I'm just being super honest, right? We all have to be burdened a little bit by each other. We have to have a certain amount of surplus to offset the cost of. Or maybe a lot, maybe maybe it's impossible, but it seems to be the case. Mm-hmm. So you know, w- you want to live in more than a bare minimum way with each other. Yeah. In order to live in a more than bare minimum way with each other and actually make culture, you you, you got to kind of be you, know, you got to find a resolve to um, bear it out with each other, and that could be your you know personality traits. That could be uh, could be a season where somebody's uh, hygiene is poor. I don't know. I mean, just like imagining any number of possibilities could be like um, bearing with someone could mean that. I mean, this is what you do. Uh, well, let me just go all the way. It's, it's part and parcel to being human beings. Like it's, it's like what you do when you have kids. Right. Yeah. The value of having kids is you're producing the next generation of culture makers. Mm-hmm. It's imperative for the continuation of human beings. But a lot of times we're inconvenienced by the proposition. And so then, you know, kids are seen as like a negative but um, uh, there's a cost to kids, but there's also like the high reward, the high high privilege, the high honor, the high um, value offsets the bearing with. Like cleaning cleaning up poopy diapers is temporary. Yeah, that's true. All my kids are out of diapers now. Mm-hmm. So working with an emerging 10-year-old, it's got some new, new struggles I'm inconvenienced. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to bear with it though because I love my daughter and I'm, I'm ready to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, you learn that stuff in close proximity to each other and then that makes you the kind of person that can do it in a workplace yeah. or in a design environment. And um, this is this is why it's so problem, problematic to just think that you make art to become your best you and to be a star or something like that. It's so shallow. It's so short-sighted to uh, the fact that you exist in a world with other people. Yeah. It's, it's just, um, it's a trap, man. You know, it's, it's not, um, makes you a shallow person. Mm-hmm. What I mean by shallow is that meaning there's no depth to you. So you can't be inconvenienced. Yeah. You can't bear anybody else's stuff. You can't walk it out with them. You can't be known by them because to be known by them would be burdened by them mm-hmm. and vice versa. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. So, but I think to be truly human is to actually come alongside each other. I mean, mm-hmm. I think, I think that's what like Dr. King's I have a dream speech uh, 
implicit in that in that is this very human idea that we are messy and and but i can see a time when you know when he talks about seeing i won't get there with you but i've seen the promised land yeah you know he's, he's barren with a lot of people you see what i'm saying mm-hmm. um and uh yeah i think even at one point in that i think he also says i am my brother's keeper yeah there you go you know and it's like there is that that shared responsibility that we we don't we don't make this journey alone yeah and so if we are all on the same journey together why wouldn't we be holding a hand out 100 or be holding our hand out for help yeah you know what i'm saying or or even for the future that you the uh, uh, folks that you haven't yet seen which is what you were getting at and i i mean i would just say i would be very I'd be, I think it's hard pressed to find somebody who would hear what we just said and be like, nah, I don't like that. Yeah. I know there's folks that don't want to get on board with it. Yeah. But I, I, at least in the students I've taught, the people I've talked to, the professionals, like there is like a a deep desire for it to be like, yeah, I I do want to be on this journey together. Yeah. And the, and the, you know, the, the honesty of this, I think kind of wraps some things up today is that you can't be doing that if you're chucking those people under the bus. Correct. Because at some point, you're the only one left on that trip, which means not only do you not have people around you supporting you, helping you, encouraging you, but you also don't have anybody around you looking at the stuff you do and saying it's worth anything. That's right. Because you've also destroyed your audience. Yeah. You've destroyed uh, the people that you're making for or making towards. Yep. And that becomes highly problematic. Like throwing people under the bus doesn't stop. Yeah. Because you say, oh, I've done it enough. Right. It is, it is it a could, generative activity. It, yeah, it's its own. It's its own. And then, you know, so what, what at best then you're sentimentalizing the idea that your audience is somewhere in the future and yeah. they'll discover your work. You're still, you're still um, conceding to the fact. Um, and right. then in all of it, there's no joy. Yeah. And, and I, man, I, I still, I, I, I push this a lot. So if you've ever talked to me at some point, you've heard this, but, um, and if there's no joy, then you've lost all of the genesis for why you're doing this in the first place. Mm-hmm. Because when you were a kid, you were not thinking about becoming the great, greatest, the best. You were thinking about, I love drawing. Yeah, you're an I love painting. I love building. Yeah. I love making. I love Legos. Yeah. I mean, like that, you know, you, that's why with the conversations we've had just this first season of the podcast, the conversations we've had, almost every story with a maker has started in the same place. Yeah. Where they've said things about music, comic books, mm-hmm. drawing, mm-hmm. Legos. Yeah. Right. It's like all the same stuff, movies, cartoons. These are the things where they're like, I found like joy in these things. Yeah. I loved them. I wanted to pursue them. And then it turns into a soul pursuit. Yeah. Where it's only you doing it. So you've got to chuck the other folks under yeah, the bus. Right. Yeah. You've got to, if, if you succeed, that's because everybody else has failed. Mm-hmm. Instead of it being something where we do say, it's highly generative. Mm-hmm. And this may actually be one of those few places in life where mm-hmm. we say a rising tide does raise all boats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and maybe in a world where we tend to overinflate our sense of self, uh, maybe you're just not as awesome as you think that you are. And that's and maybe okay. Maybe that's okay. That's yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's just, I mean, I, like, I want to uh, be in a place where, like, with this podcast, uh, for example, I want to be in a place where um, how good I do is actually based on how well you do. Yeah. Yeah, and that our conversation together is actually better than the, the yeah. sum of its parts. Yeah, yeah, to where it starts to become, um, you know, when it's the idea that you can't envision life without envisioning others is yeah. is critical. I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's a it is. There's a there's a lot of comfort in that. Yep, there really yep. is. Even though that is predicated by like some discomfort and some vulnerability 100%. and some honesty that might be hard to do. Yeah, it's a it's a lot better. Yeah. So I think you know, kind of you know, in closing, I think we. Uh, 
This is not an easy thing. I want to reiterate that. So this yeah. is also not something we're coming from. It is like, oh, we've done this well. Yeah. Uh, if you want to talk to us offline, like I can tell you plenty of, of ways that I've chucked people under the bus with specifics uh, yeah. and what I've learned from that. So this is coming from a place of been there, done that. Like yeah, you said yeah, earlier. more in, in tempted in the future. Like not like. Yeah, and I not that it's going to We stop. haven't arrived. Yeah, right. the temptations are ever looming. And uh, sometimes what I, I mean, there's other categories we didn't talk about, like just being tired and exhausted and how that can yeah. make you more susceptible to things. But I think that's all there. Um, one thing we want to encourage you to do is write to us at info at Shaco Art Space, ShacoArtSpace.com. And um, send us questions. When we go into the new year, uh, we'll be going to four episodes a month. Yep. Two long ones and two short ones. So this is an exciting time of expansion. We'll have a slew of new um, guests coming on at the turn of the new year. But we'll be moving into um, our normal, however long the conversation goes, format. Um, <laughs> and uh, But also some strategically focused half hour talks on, on maybe a single topic. We think uh, those are beneficial. That was part of the plan in the conception of our podcast. And we're excited to say that we're venturing into that next step. Mm-hmm. And so we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to get a st- inventory of, um, uh, you know, questions and considerations. We want to, we want to, we want to interact with you. So we want to know you and we can't do that unless we're hearing from you, hearing your questions and so your thoughts, your considerations. And so um, if you would, you know, message us with a, a below 30 in the subject line and then uh, and send in your question. So at info at shockoartspace.com. Yeah, you can also feel free to hit us up on Instagram. Follow us uh, at shockoartspace. Um, hit us up with a DM. Let us know your questions. We're happy to receive them in really any platform. That's that, right. That yeah. you can. Yeah, you can um, send the questions through direct message on Instagram as well. Yeah, if just, you know us, title. you know, yeah. talk to us. Please do it. Yeah, shoot us a text message. Whatever it is, just yeah. let us know. Come out to our gallery and let us know on Tuesday nights with open hours, or uh, you know, when we have openings. Like, yep. you know, any way you can uh, talk to us and yep. uh, help us to know better what it is uh, that you have questions about. Yeah, how we can we, how we can actually further this conversation because it is one, and and also check us out on Patreon. We so appreciate the support that we receive, and it's so imperative to us growing as an organization to do more and to bring more to the community. And so, um, yeah, and I dude, think, I think we're like 15 or $20 away from reaching our first milestone goal. Yeah. So, so we're yeah. real close. So we, you know, dollar a month, $2 a month, $5 a month, 20, a hundred, whatever you can do. Anything. Um, a dollar is huge. I can't stress it enough. If you know, each of you could give $12 a year, that would be just a gigantic impact on us. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we thank you for your listening and we will get in touch soon. Yeah. Talk to y'all soon. You've been listening to Shaco Art Speak, a production of Shaco Art Space. We are an independent nonprofit art gallery in Richmond, Virginia. We can be found online at shacoartspace.com and in real life in historic Shaco Bottom.